Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, Cameron and I will talk about pets. And no, you didn't hear that wrong. We're discussing pet animals, cats and dogs, for example, from a theological perspective. The history and symbolism of scripture is full of animals, and we're going to take a somewhat lighthearted look at what this means. I don't know what it says about the commentary that we're about to do the episode that we're about to do. It could be that uh, we are going to jump the shark. It could come off that we've just run out of things to talk about but we're going to soldier on because I think there really is something here that's worth talking about. But this episode is going to be devoted to animals. So Cameron, we need to establish our credentials for talking about pets and the theology of pets. So I understand you're a cat person, a cat household. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. I don't, I don't call myself a cat person. I love dogs. I love many animals. But yes, we do have two cats, my wife and I, Malcolm and Morris. I grew up as well with cats around, and we had dogs pretty much my whole life too. So I've, I've been around animals, pets, you know, my whole life. Okay, and so you, and you aspire to have dogs in the future. and, and That's right, you yeah. Hope to- I'm working diligently now to convince Jenny to... Let me get a dog. And I, th- I think I'm about there. We're just going to maybe wait to the spring or the summer. And I'm hoping. Yeah. Happen. Well, good. Yeah. Maybe this episode will help generate some support for that. Maybe yes. we'll get some letters <laughs> in support of your, your desire to have a pet dog. And I should probably mention here that we also have a cat as of last week. It was, uh, 10 years in the making. It's been 10 years since we had any cats and my former cats, uh, Hugo and Clive were immortalized in my (laughs) book, rethinking worldview because I used them as an example of some philosophical concept, but it's been a long time since we've had an actual cat in the house. But last week, Lori and I made a very sudden and, and, so far not regretted decision that it was time to get a cat and, and um, you know, Lori is allergic to cats. I may also be allergic to cats. We're, we're finding out, oh, but, but uh, we're committed now. So uh, we thought it'd be a good time to think about uh, the significance of, of not just animals, but pets yeah. and what we might call a theology of pets because the Bible does have a lot to say about animals. And so it's, it's not only a, a lighter topic than, than we often talk about, but one that I think probably has some surprising depth to it. More, there's more to say than you might think. Let's hope so. Let's see what we yeah, can do. Yeah. So I want to begin just with that question, the practical question of why did you and Lori decide to get pet you know i think christians i don't know i've never actually heard christians talk about pets before this is one of the first times i've had a conversations about the meaning of having pets so i'm curious why do we do this why do we participate in this practice that 
that humans seem to generally? And what was your thought process? Unless it was spur of the moment, like you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this decision was definitely spur of the moment, and I'm not going to pretend for a moment sure. that a lot of theologizing was done in advance. However, I think you you can see in Scripture a certain theme that would give us a basis for thinking about you know why we as human beings have pets, and you find that early on in Genesis when Adam names the animals. That process of naming is part of a search or a quest for companionship. And, you know, God is essentially presenting the animals to Adam, having him name those animals, but he's doing it in order to find an animal that would be a suitable companion for him because it's not good for the human being to be alone. And so... That's the quest. And ultimately it fails, of course, and and results in the creation of Eve. And she is the perfect companion because she is from Adam, right? She's, She's of the same stuff as Adam. And so a better companion than that a pet, for example, clearly. However, the fact that there is this idea that there's a companionship to be had uh, between human beings and animals, I think is obviously implied there. And so we can see the the purpose of having pets is is companionship. You know, it's it's that idea that, that human beings are gregarious. It's something we have in common with at least some animals. And as a result, we can have that sense of companionship. And that's, you know, a blessing that that you can see in many people's lives. I know People, friends of ours, family who have really over the past, you know, year and a half of the pandemic benefited greatly from the fact that in their relative isolation, they had companions in the form of pets to keep them company. And so I think that uh, it's not surprising that although we, we had a, a good 10 year run without any cats roaming the house, uh, it was certainly during this period, I think, where Lori started reevaluating that and thinking, wow, you know, I've had to spend a lot more time cooped up with Mark. It would have been nice to have <laughs> a cat as well, to, you know, a, a more suitable companion, perhaps, <laughs> to, to spend time with. Yeah. Okay. So, so animals are companions is what I hear you saying. And that that's actually a, a part of the created order. I wonder, too, if it's a part of the relation or the the responsibility rather that God gives to Adam and Eve to, to rule and take care of creation and animals are a part of that. Right. So the naming is one aspect, but also this duty to, to care for the animals too. That's right. And I, I like the way you're putting it too. Uh, it, the dominion mandate, you know, when God says to the human beings that they will have dominion over creation. When we think of dominion, we think of ruling, you know, exercising power over something. And inevitably, when we imagine what it is to exercise power, we think of exploitation and, and um, you know, harsh measures, you know, ruling with an iron fist. But that's not the way that God uses authority. It's not the way that, that God sees dominion. So human beings are given dominion over creation, but that's a similar kind of rule that to, to the one that the gardener has over the garden. 
the the one who has dominion has the responsibility to care for and to promote the flourishing of of what he's given dominion over and so animals and and not just animals but all of creation is this place that human beings have been given dominion over but but given to care for and to cultivate and to bring to greater flourishing and so in a sense it is a kind of service that we're called to not just an exploitation or, or, or i say not just an exploitation but not an exploitation at yeah. all yeah and i think we could say that part of the consequence of the fall which you know happens a chapter later or two is is a kind of exploitation or a, a fraught relationship between animals and and humans and that takes many different shapes and takes different shapes now in our day maybe than it did 200 2000 years ago but certainly the relationship between animals and humans is not all that it was meant to be right yeah i mean it, it is interesting when you look at genesis 3 and you consider the fact that before the man is cursed before the woman is cursed. The serpent is cursed. And it's actually in the words that are addressed to the serpent that you have the Proto-Evangelion. The first hint of the gospel in Genesis 3.15 comes in words spoken to an animal, not to the human beings there. Um, that serpent obviously is, is a more complicated animal than, than others. But, but interestingly, uh, this is not the only time that we see God speaking in what we would see as, as almost covenantal terms to non-human actors, right? We, we also have this in the creation narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, in uh, the creation, when God creates the animals of the sea and the animals of the air, uh, as you pointed out to me, he pronounces a blessing on them. Yeah, and it's kind of the same blessing that he gives to the humans a little later, right? So it's, he, he blesses them and says, be fruitful, multiply. And then just a little bit later, it's the humans and tells them to do the same thing. It struck me that the animals get the blessing first, you know, because they're yeah. there yeah. first, but um, we, we don't often talk about that. We like to talk about the way that God blesses us humans, of course, but it's interesting that he, he thinks to bless the animals. Yeah, it is. I, I think it's, it's um, if you reflect on that, you can see that there is a, a um, like if, let's say a value to all of creation that we don't often appreciate. Since we have this idea of a sort of inanimate world of stuff, and we don't really think of it as having purpose, and we don't really think of it as belonging to anyone apart from us, um, it's maybe harder for us to see that God has this, this relationship, these dealings with creation, including the animals, that uh, suggests a greater importance and significance to them than, than, what, than what we might recognize. I think of a few other passages of scripture too where animals seem to be prominent and of course there are probably many that i'm overlooking but in the psalms we see pictures of animals crying out to god for food i think it's psalm 145 is one of them where it talks about the lion being dependent on the lord for food 
and God taking care of the animals, you know, his, his providential care of them. And later on, Jesus uses the example of the sparrow as an animal, a creature that doesn't think to, to be anxious, you know, for its food or for its livelihood, but that God takes care of it too. So they're, they're images of, of what it looks like to depend on God almost. Yeah. And, and I think they also reinforce that observation about dominion as well, because if human beings have dominion over the rest of creation, it's only a kind of delegated authority. You know, it's, it's God's authority that he's given to human beings as his representatives. And so God himself exercises, you know, that, that same dominion, a greater dominion, than that over all of those things. And so God demonstrates a care for, you know, in, in, in the case of Jesus's example, for details that would seem to be insignificant to us. Like we don't consider the, the birds, right? And this is why Jesus calls attention to them and, and says essentially, if, look, if God cares about this stuff, then surely he cares about you as well. So the implication, I think, is, is clearly that God has a concern for the created world that runs much deeper than what we realize, you know, certainly much deeper than our own care and concern for that created world. But, uh, but the fact that our care falls short is a result of sin, not, not um, like the way it should be. Say a little more about that. I'm curious what you mean. Well, so, you know, when we think about dominion in terms of domination, like I was saying earlier, the reason that that we automatically think in terms of exploitation and domination is because these are the ways that sin is distorted the way things ought to be, so much so that we've come to see the distortions as as natural, you know, as, as inevitable. And so that distorting effect is one you have to keep in mind because we see the effects of sin throughout the world, not only in the lives of human beings, but also in creation as well, right? So the animal kingdom is affected by the fall, you know, the, the way that, um, you know, it, it, when you say the dog-eat-dog world, you know, it sounds <laughs> terrible to, to use that phrase in yeah. this context, but, but we see the, the, what did Jack London call it? The law of tooth and fang or something like that. Red and tooth and nail. Yes. Yeah. There's this, this sense yeah. of like, uh, this, this sort of, uh, death oriented, uh, like survival of the fittest kind of ethic in nature that people often look to creation and think, well, that is the way of the world. But that is the way of a world under the sway of sin. And so, again, the, the, the problematic relationship between human beings and animals, whether it's, uh, you know, sharks eating us when we go to, to, to swim, you know, in the waters, or whether it's us cruelly, you know, harvesting cute little seals or, you know, whatever, whatever the abuse is, that you can think of, these are consequences of sin. Those are not examples of dominion. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious then if we could talk about where the, the Bible might point us or, or point the, the story of the redemption of animals, you know? So Hmm. I, I guess I would start by thinking, well, animals are a part of creation and 
the New Testament talks about this new creation where God is going to restore his world order and and redeem all things. So I, I suppose animals are a part of that. Yeah, well, absolutely. When we have descriptions of the New Jerusalem, the new creation, what's coming after the return of Christ, those descriptions don't they don't just include animals, but oftentimes the 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 presence of animals is fundamental to understanding the nature of those places. Uh, children will be able to play with poisonous snakes and not be poisoned. Uh, the lion and the lamb will lie down together. The, these relationships are specifically invoked for us to understand the peaceful kingdom that is to come. And so, Obviously, uh, the presence of animals in the new creation is a given, just as much as the, the presence of a new earth in the new creation is a given. So, so we know that, and, and that's actually a significant thing, practically speaking, because we talked about pets earlier. I mean, one of the most common questions people have when it comes to their pets is, will my pet go to heaven you know will my pet and i be reunited yeah. in heaven and um people listening depending on your fundamental orientation towards optimism or pessimism you know when you hear that you know will my pet go to heaven you might go oh that's sweet and and another kind of person will say absolutely not of course they won't and and i'd love to tell you more about how your pet will not be in heaven but you know, I was always one of those pessimistic people who thought, well, that's just sentiment. That's just sentimentality talking. That's it's it's nonsensical. But if you think about it, it, it's more complex because we do see that there are animals in the the kingdom that is to come, right? We do see in the new creation the presence of animals, and if you ask yourself, you know, where does condemnation come from? Well, condemnation comes from sin, and the animals are not sinful, right? They don't stand under condemnation for their sins in the way that human beings do. Uh, they fall under a different kind of yoke that we would associate, like in Romans 8 terms, with all creation. That cre all creation is groaning in anticipation of subject uh, to futility. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, an effect of the fall, mm -hmm. but creation is yearning for freedom, like yearning for Christ to restore what used to be. So, so interestingly, you talked about the redemption of the animals and yet there's a sense in which I think we could talk about that in the way that we, we talk about like you know, the world redeemed in the sense of the, the consequences of the fall reversed, uh, a restoration of the fallen world. But when we think specifically about redemption as an answer to the problem of sin, like the cross as the necessary uh, solution to the problem of sin, if animals don't have the problem of sin, like if they don't, they don't, they don't need an atoning sacrifice to be made on their behalf so that they can stand righteous before God. That's a human thing as God's image bearer. And so um, I, I, I want to say there's, there's a, at least in our thinking, a parallel track that needs to emerge where we're not thinking of our pets or animals in general in terms of 
you know, salvation and damnation at all. Uh-huh. Yes, they, they die. They are subject to the consequences of the fall, but the drama of sin and redemption that is the substance of human history is not one that our pets partake in. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. On the one hand, I've heard people say, well, animals don't have souls. You know, it's right. as simple as that. So they, how could they possibly um, go to heaven or, you know, or something like that? And, but, I, but I hear what you're saying, too. This is speculation, but I've heard Tim Keller say something about the new creation that could apply to this related to Jesus' resurrected body. I think he, he says, you know, when Jesus comes out of the tomb, he, he has his new resurrected body. He still bears the scars he bears resemblance from his, his past life. And he tries to apply this to, to, to what the new creation could look like. I think he says something, something like, you know, we, we might bring with us parts of, you know, our own scars kind of a thing into the new creation, or he even wonders maybe some of the things that we created in this life are somehow transfigured in the new creation and they're brought over to, and again, speculation, right. but maybe there's right. something about the new creation where this animal that you cared for for 20 years and then died, maybe God could recreate this animal in the new creation. I'm not saying one way or the other, but it certainly seems possible. And the presence of animals in, new, in the new creation seems to be the more important thing rather than a specific pet. Sure. But. Yeah. And I, I think it's, yeah, it's suggestive. And when we're in the realm of speculation, we, we don't know exactly, but, but I think the, the point though, is that we can't give that definitive no, that you kind of feel like you have to give mm-hmm. at first glance, yeah. you know, it's, it's not as, as simple a negative as it might seem at first. And so yeah, I mean, of course, it's purely speculative, and 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 I don't like to to deal in sentimentality and that sort of thing. So I'm not saying, you know, hey, maybe you know, maybe right. your pet will spend eternity with you. Um, would that be heaven for your pet? I don't know. I'm not sure what kind of yeah. you know pet owner you are, but but it it it's it's one of those areas where I think certainly speaking from the the, the standpoint of like church authority or something where. Um, I, I want to say there's a, there's a point beyond which we, we don't know, but we're just trusting in the goodness of God in these areas. Yeah. It's probably worth adding because if people are listening to this, they might be wondering if like we're building up to like announcing a special blessing of the animals service or something like that. That's not, <laughs> that's not going to happen. But, um, but uh, I think it is, it's, it's good occasionally to take a more lighthearted look at, at these questions and, and also to recognize how aspects of our everyday lives can lead us to reflect more deeply on the reality of creation. And so for me, the, the cool thing about thinking about the significance of our pets is that it gives us a way to start thinking about the world that God made and our responsibility towards it, mm-hmm. you know, that, that um, oftentimes we think about those things in the abstract. 
In the same way that it's possible to think about, you know, the responsibilities of a parent to a child in the abstract, but then, you know, if you talk to an actual parent about an actual child, that it's all very different when, when you're thinking in, in real terms about a real person. And I think that's true as well when you think about animals. You know, that, that you're think about your pets and your responsibility to your pet and your love for them. Uh, you think about the the impossibility of directing cruelty and exploitation towards them, right? And then that leads you to to start thinking about all of creation and asking yourself, well, if that's true in this case, how should I live in relation to the larger world that God has made? And, and how do I act as a good steward of it and, and as a good uh, exerciser of dominion, not in a, a sinful fallen way of using power, but in a, a good godlike way of using power, you know, so I, I think it's helpful in that way. That's all the time we have for now. Thanks for listening. Our next episode will release on Christmas Eve. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.